Wednesday, March 28th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and for Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hansen and Bill Mann. Gentlemen, good to see you. Yo, welcome back. Uh, yeah, hey, thanks. You, you guys got back from China. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into that in a moment. Yeah, I may fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, jet lag. That can, <laughs> that can hurt, as I understand. Uh, we've got some spicy earnings. We've got the China edition of the Big Macro, and we have a record-setting price tag for the L.A. Dodgers, but we are going to start with mobile. Nokia is launching its first-ever smartphone in China. The Lumia smartphone will run Windows uh, from Microsoft. It will go on sale in early April for about 3,600 yuan. That's about 570 American dollars. Tim Hansen, I'll start with you. I think it's fair to say that Nokia really needs a win. Is this, is this their Waterloo? Yeah, is this going to be it for them? I don't. I don't think so. I, they just continue to do confusing things. Um, you know, this is an expensive phone in a market that already has plenty of expensive phones. It's going to be launched with you know, generally considered to be the the the, the, the lowest tier carrier, China Telecom. Yeah. Um, you know, the opportunity for Nokia in China is probably the same as the opportunity they have everywhere around the world, which is in lower priced, lower priced phones. Instead, they want to go head to head in a very saturated market. I just don't see how this works out well for them. Bill. Yeah, uh, Nokia has seen it's actually Nokia is a, a, a much more it's a much larger uh, percentage of the of the Chinese market than you know, than it is in the U.S. Yeah, it's, up until the last quarter of last year, it was forty percent. It was 20, number one in market share. Yeah, it's now trailing Samsung. Interestingly, you know, so Apple, uh, the iPhone is a is a distant fifth. But this is really their Waterloo. This is where they uh, you know they 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 need to draw the line. But yeah, they're they're coming out with three rather expensive phones. I mean, you know, a comparable Nokia phone in the U.S. are coming out with at a price point of $100. So we'll see. I mean, it's a massive market. 70 million phones, uh, smartphones sold in China last year. So this is, you know, if, if they're going to win somewhere, you know, this is, you know, this is the place to do it. And it is the place where they do have the most credibility at this point. But 520 bucks is awfully credible. Joe, what do you think? Well, Nokia's had falling revenue four years in a row, and their best spot right now is in low-end smartphones, but that's the worst place to be yeah. over the long haul. It's just a race to the bottom on pricing. and they're trying Especially to, in China. Yeah, they're, they're in a pretty bad spot, and I don't see how they're going to work their way out of it. They've still got a lot of cash, but I think it's going to be a long, slow, painful ride. And unfortunately for Microsoft, they're basically you know long for that and if nokia doesn't get traction with this phone i think microsoft's hopes in mobile are pretty toast uh tim you mentioned the partnership with china telecom as you mentioned it's it is not the leading uh, mobile carrier how how crucial is that for whether it's nokia or any business when you're going into china i mean we we've talked before about you know if you're going to create a partnership obviously you're giving up some of the revenue but it seems like at least in this case it would be worth it for nokia to try and partner uh, with a stronger mobile well, just partner, maybe a partner who had more has more subscribers. Just, you know, Chinese uh, mobile users are notorious for how frequently they trade around phones. So you know, they'll have something for three months, and they'll get the new thing and the new thing, and, and it's yeah. just a weird phenomenon over there. So you want a carrier that that has a lot of people, so that if, you know somebody might try your phone out for a little bit, and then they'll stick with it or go to your next model. Um, instead, you know, they opted to go with China Telecom, which I, th- I think is probably a bad decision. You know, they're also trying the partnership model on content to try to crack that, you know, that app store um, uh, issue that they have since they're not Android or, or, or the iPhone um, by partnering up with Tencent to do to do apps. Tencent is a, you know, a very successful and very well-known um, Internet company across, 
um, verticals, you know, games, chat, that sort of thing in China. But the thing about Tencent's user base is that, generally speaking, it's like the teenage girl market, which doesn't seem to cross Careful. doesn't seem to cross <laughs> that well with you know a five hundred six hundred dollar smartphone. You know, uh, the things that they're using to message are sort of those lower. You know, one step above a feature phone type phones, and and yep. and and so it, it doesn't seem like a great match, but it probably you know Nokia, as Joe pointed out, has been pushed to the point of desperation in a lot of parts of their business, and so you know at least they're getting some press out of this. They're launching into an important market, as Bill said, um, and good luck to them. It just doesn't seem like the right way to go about it. Yeah, I was going to say, Bill and I have girls who are about to be teenagers. I, th- I think I can speak for you. We're we're not buying our daughters five hundred seventy dollar phones oh, no. anytime soon. Or uh, you might be, but you don't know it. No, yeah. well, kidding aside, because they're subsidized here in the U.S., and that's a big part of the reason Apple and the other smartphone providers have been so successful, that basically the carriers are the one who are eating that cost, yeah. and you're, you're getting passed to you over the course of you know a two-year contract. Yes, yeah, still no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to wrap up on Nokia, the shares of Nokia trading around a 14-year low um, Bill, we were talking before. They, you know, they're they're now number two to Samsung in market share. If this is successful, this this new smartphone, if this somehow gets them back to number one, is that the kind of thing that's going to move the stock? Yeah, that and uh, that and being the name advertiser at the Sugar Bowl again. <laughs> I mean that 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 worked out great. Um, You're saying they could do a better job of spending their marketing dollars? I think I, that that's exactly what I'm saying. Seeing as that came almost exactly with the 14 year high in the stock price. McCormick, the spice company, said its first quarter profit fell 3%. Uh, Joe Mager, I know this is a stock that you own. Um, I'm assuming that Wall Street didn't care about the uh, the profit because uh, the stock hit an all-time high this week. you yeah. got to be happy. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, as usual, the market's forward-looking, and in this case, guidance was better than people expected. You know, McCormick's a totally sleepy business. Um, but it's beautifully consistent, so it's a classic boring is beautiful. Uh, great margins that I think have a lot of upside once they fully integrate some recent acquisitions. And you're going to see some cost pressures come down over the next couple quarters, and I think it's going to keep doing really well. One of the things that McCormick talked about was the higher cost of commodities. And we've talked before about companies that can pass that on to consumers. Does McCormick have that kind of pricing power? I mean, I know when I go to the grocery store, there's certainly a huge McCormick spice section. And yeah. other than that, it's just sort of generics. Yeah, they have some, but not enough to where they can pass on all of it. So lately, they have been passing on a lot. Uh, the big risk with them is that people will trade down. And when they do, they move away from the expensive branded stuff to the store brand. Now, of course, McCormick's also the or biggest provider. Salt. <laughs> or just salt. Or dirt. Uh, McCormick's also the biggest provider of store brands. So you don't see that. Uh, but they are there as well. But it's lower margin. You know, a counterbalance to that is that spice is a pretty small expense in terms of your total meal. Like, if you're going to cook a steak, you're probably going to pay a lot more attention to what you're paying in beef per pound than, you know, how much you're paying in pepper per serving. Yeah. No. I mean, it, yeah, they, and, and they did say that they have felt some resistance. They, they actually did increase prices over this last year, and uh, they had seen, you know, some volume decreases, and they think that it was probably – a little bit of resistance to the price increase, but I mean, you know, in the long term, I would, you know, I would think that spices are uh, are, are rather price inelastic. Tim, you're uh, uh, an amateur mixologist. You're a guy. Who... I'm an amateur a lot of things. <laughs> you are. You're, you know, you're, you like to mix it up in the kitchen. Do you have an undervalued spice? Just something that just oh, you know, I it's do. like it's like this is well. Uh, you can go first, go then, Bill. No, you didn't ask me. All right, I, I'm coming to you next, Tim. What do you got? Uh, you know. I, 
I think I think um, coriander. I like coriander in a lot of different mm. a lot of different places that are on campus. Mac, why are you giving me that look? What's the problem with coriander? Never heard of it. You've never heard of coriander. Never heard of coriander? See, and now I know that See, I've, I've, I've hit out an undervalued. He's from spice. Texas, he's more of a salt guy. You see, <laughs> you would you coriander on ribs, very nice. wonderful. So. Coriander on like a nice gazpacho is good. Uh, coriander, it, it, it works in a lot of places that you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily guess, even though it's coming out of kind of a distinctive home cuisine. It works on a lot of different a lot of different meals. Bill, what do you got? Yeah, sumac. Sumac. Yeah. What do we, our, it's a Middle Eastern spice. It's very, it's very lemony. It's very tart. It's like bright red. It looks like paprika, and it's you know, it's spectacular. Actually, in like a spacho or on you know, and you know, if you put it in like a, uh, you know, just put it in like a sour cream as you know, it's very nice. Uh, Joe, I can't compete with either of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coriander. A little something for the folks at home. I'm going to go with pepper. <laughs> uh, most weeks on Motley Fool Money, we, we start with the big macro. We're going to do the, the China edition of the big macro. Um, uh, Tim and Bill, you guys just got back from a research trip there, or at least you said it was research. God only knows what you actually did. Um, uh, some of the numbers from January and February, industrial production is increasing, but at a slower rate. Um, retail sales came in nearly three percentage points lower than expected. Um, Bill, I'll just start with you. Um, in sort of general economic terms, what were your impressions? You know, it, it's it, in in China. It's very interesting because it's it's very difficult to actually find out what what was truly going on. And and we, we talked to a lot of people when we were when when we were there, and a lot of people had talked about the fact that there had been a real economic slowdown, and it has really impacted you know the retail. It's impacted uh, you know white goods, you know uh, car sales, this sort of thing. But other people you'd speak to say, no, there hasn't really been much of a slowdown at all. But uh, you know, I think what you are seeing is the impact of the government really pulling back on a lot of the uh, speculative spending. I mean, they've kept they've kept rates very high. They've kept uh, you know the limits on loans, and so I think you're seeing an impact to uh, you know to to you know to basically their policy to try and keep growth in a you know within a band. Uh, Tim, we've talked before about housing. Certainly, one of the you know, big stories last year, uh, or maybe I should say most commonly repeated stories, was this notion of a China housing bubble. Um, it seems like that might be deflating s- slightly um, rather than popping, but what do you think? That, I mean, that was the impression I got. I mean, we talked, as Bill said, we talked to a lot of different folks, and, and the consensus seemed to be that the housing market was headed more towards a soft landing than a, than a hard landing, the reason being that while luxury and, and you know, higher-priced housing was substantially overbuilt in the preceding few years. Um, affordable housing was underbuilt, and so now you know developers are going through this process of converting some of that those plans into more affordable housing. The government is still sort of um, incenting uh, developers and constructors to to put up affordable housing, and urbanization is still going on at mm-hmm. a rapid enough clip to soak up that inventory. Um, it's going to be a couple years of of soaking before you know growth in that industry would happen again. Um, so, so it's kind of a transition couple of years for the Chinese economy. You know, they'd really like to get onto this consumer domestic consumption story, but they're they're clearly not there yet. Um, they're pulling back on their fixed asset investment. One of the analysts I talked to had a had a funny story that she said that um, steel has gone quietly in China from being considered a quote backbone industry to being something like a um, 
somewhat important industry to our future going forward. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been quietly downgraded from, the, say, that's from a, three Chinese characters to 17. Right. So, so I mean, that's the sort of thing that's happening right now. So I think, you know, you know the big debate was where is Chinese GDP going to shake out? You know, something like 2 to 3% would be disastrous. 9 to 10% would mean, you know, they're, they're basically playing with the numbers or pushing too much money into the system and it's unsustainable. And then somewhere between 4 and Seven is probably where it ends up. And if you're on the seven side, you're probably looking for exposure to China. If you're on the four side, you're probably pulling back from some of your exposure to China. Um, but that, you know, it's going to be in that sort of middle band. And But what, you know, happens exactly is anybody's guess. Yeah, I think something that's really important uh, to understand about China is that there is a vast difference between the high end markets and the low end markets in a way that's you know that's that's much broader than you would see here. So a lot of the value is still stored in you know if, if real estate, for example, it's still stored in Shanghai and Beijing, even though it is a small percentage of the units. So uh, things like the banks in China are probably you know. You'd probably still want to stay away from them because they probably have a great deal more stress in terms of the value than you would from you know from the raw number of units because I mean it's a much broader you know thing with a lot of you know a lot of the value that's stored in you know the top one or two percent. So for investors who are looking for a little bit more exposure in China, what what are a couple of industries that are you know if not the direct opposite of the banks, um, <laughs> certainly more attractive than the banks. I think Baidu is an example of a company that that has just been you know pushing forward with stellar results every time they report, regardless of what the economic climate has been in China. You know whether that's you know we heard rumors this this time around that they were just pushing price increases across on every one of their you know advertisers. Obviously, their search share is going up, so they seem to be, if not immune, at least resistant to the climate. Um, we also heard the same thing from the casino people in Macau, which is. You know, if China had a had a had a weak economy in the you know Q4 or the beginning of this year, you know they didn't notice it, and that's yeah. certainly been borne out by the statistics coming out of the Macau Gaming Regulator that are just you know showing 30, 40 percent increases in in gaming revenues um, island wide there, uh, which is incredible when you think about it, and it's not clear where all that money is coming from necessarily but again that's that's seems to be a somewhat resistant industry yeah. with we a, want, again we, a really bright long term yeah. future just given um, the traffic trends I, you know I heard an incredible statistic that you know something like 80% of of the visitors to Macau are from mainland China but of those 80% 60% are from one province alone which is Guangdong province in south southeastern China so you think about the number of people who live outside of Guangdong province in China and there's potentially a very long tail like 17 for <laughs> yeah, for, like for for gambling growth on Macau yeah I, and so Tim and I just anecdotally walked through some of the casinos in in in, in Macau and I turned You didn't stop at any of the tables oh. we couldn't afford it we couldn't afford it, it that's was what unbelievable. I was, say. I, was yeah. I was willing to wager but the stakes were i mean we were the poorest people in the room apparently. even that like the casino you know like the shot you know the galaxy not to not to demean galaxy but they generally are, are considered to have the casino designed for the mainland chinese consumer which is sort of like you know the dude smoking too much and and, and yelling it's at his the, cards it's the that. budget casino the, it, even that was like what was it 300 400 um hong kong dollar minimum bets which is you know 50 45 50 bucks 40 50 bucks which so, are a couple of guys like us who are just ooh, trying to kill a couple hours. That can get expensive <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> and they don't come with the free drinks very fast. Not fast enough, anyway. Yeah. A group that includes NBA Hall of Famer Magic Johnson is buying the Los Angeles Dodgers for $2.1 billion. It is the most ever paid for a North American sports franchise. Uh, Tim, they get the team, they get some of the land around the stadium, and yet... 
I have to ask, did they overpay? Because it really, I mean... Can you believe Frank McCourt's walking away with a billion dollars from this after... It's not like, clear that he is. I don't know what he's going to walk away with because his finances are so... Can I use the word effed? <laughs> you, you can say it. They're sort of effed. And they're, they're franked? They're bizarre. <laughs> I don't know what he owes to who and where. Just to give context, the previous record for a North American sports franchise was 2009, the Miami Dolphins bought for $1.1 billion. So this is nearly double that. So, we'll so they got a great price, is what you're saying. <laughs> if you anchor on some of that stuff, it looks outrageous. There are some interesting quirks to this deal that make it look not so bad. One, it was obviously an auction. And apparently everybody else who bid, the other two bidders, were sort of like, all right, we're auctioning, so we'll come in with a, you know, an opening bid. And they apparently came in with like 1.4, 1.5. And the Magic Johnson group just you know, dropped $2.1 billion and just ended the auction immediately. It was sort of like the buy it now feature on eBay. <laughs> right. You know, you overpay, arguably, but you get what you want. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that dynamic, which may have pushed up the price. You know, secondarily, the Dodgers are coming with a lot of real estate right around Chavez Ravine, um, which apparently is now a gentrified neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. abuts it. And so there's plans. I hear California real estate has a bright future. Well, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, if the McCourts had had any ability to get financing, they were going to put in, you know, a big Dodger museum and a mall and all this development and housing and and, and they could – a you go-kart know. track. And <laughs> apparently News Corp was going to step up with $3 billion or so of TV money. Yeah. Which, so, you know, by paying $2 billion, you're paying a lot, but you've got a bunch of deals that were already lined up to get knocked down, which will go through. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other thing is most people bidding on this deal aren't probably looking for a cash-on-cash return. They right. Just, they're just looking for something to stick in their pocket. And, uh, and you know, uh, you know, it's basically like putting a giant – diamond on your finger just something to walk around with yeah you buy a sports team because it's the coolest thing you can do this side of becoming president in america i would say probably cooler cooler (laughs) Cooler. i mean how cool is that to own like your your hometown sports team that's just off the charts cool but you don't buy it to make money i think david einhorn at this talk i saw him give a couple months ago he was in bidding for the mets and he was trying to acquire them, and it fell through. And he was like, you know, it's funny. I'm so upset that this deal fell through, and it's the only investment I have ever made where I knew that I was going to lose money on it, but I'm still furious. Still wanted through. it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, they 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 tend to make they tend to lose money on a you know on a revenue stream basis and make it back when they resell the team, just in terms of asset appreciation because the ultimate greater somebody somebody else wants it more um on yesterday's podcast uh we talked about how joe had to uh be at home yesterday he was dealing with a last minute snafu a flower emergency Uh, there was a flower flower emergency there was a flower emergency can you describe the nature of the emergency was long story short were the stargazer lilies had they been bruised (laughs) oh you don't want to know. We had 200 roses show up a couple days early as I'm walking out the door. So then I had to go upstairs, trim them, put them on water. Long story short, I just decided to work from home yesterday. Um, and they were bruised. So Charlie and uh, Jason <laughs> Bowes. Jason Moser weighed in with some uh, with some advice. Oh, they're white roses. You can't have those bruised. Yeah, you can't bruise the white roses, guys. No. I mean, come on. Um, That's true. You guys are married. Um, Joe's walking down the island just a few days here. Any any advice for you know dealing with last minute snafus? Any any wedding day advice, reception advice? Let someone else do it. <laughs> do what? Get married? I don't know. No, <laughs> everything else. Oh, okay. You just get married, Tim. 
Uh, go with the flow. Yeah. Uh, that was my experience is that people just wanted you to do a lot of things. And yeah, and if I, it hadn't been my wedding, I would have been like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But I did it. And I've got the pictures to prove it. Uh, you can drop us an email, radio at full.com, <laughs> if you have last-minute wedding advice. Oh, and wear comfortable shoes. Good God. My shoes, were, my tuxedo shoes were just slightly on the small side, Uh-oh. and it made for an embarrassingly painful experience throughout the day. We've, uh, the emails have already started to come in uh, from Sam Waterbury. I'm not married, but I helped my cousin get married last summer, and I have a little bit of advice for Joe. <laughs> kind of makes me an expert. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> A little bit of advice for Joe for his wedding reception. One word, Motown. You can't go wrong with it. It's usually about love and is the best way to get people on their feet dancing. I particularly endorse Ain't Too Proud to Beg and Heard It Through the Grapevine. Um, is that Motown? Mo- Motown was a direction we specifically no, gave Motown. the DJ. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, some very good advice from Brian in Atlanta. He writes, here's the advice. Make a choice. And by the way, make a choice is in all caps. I make- thought I did that. I, right. I when- bought the ring. He goes on. Oh, oh. He when- continues. He continues. When your wife is asking for you to decide on something, such as which outfit you think she should wear for the night, make a choice, even if you don't care. If you express indifference, you lose. It doesn't matter which you choose. You just have to show that you care. If you choose A and she agrees, then great. She's happy. You still don't care, and you move on. If you choose, It B- only took Brian three wives to figure all this out. <laughs> if you choose B and she disagrees, she will give you the reasons you were wrong and tell you A is the choice, and you can say, good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Okay, go with A. She's not only happy, but ecstatic because you're such a, quote, good listener. You still don't care, and you still move on. If you say whatever, or I don't care, she's angry, and you lose. That's Brian, a- it sounds like we need to get a drink the next time I'm in Atlanta. <laughs> That's a pretty good playbook. That is a pretty good playbook. Radio at Fool.com. Send in your last-minute wedding advice for Uncle Joe. Joe Mager, Tim Hansen, Bill Mann. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. All right, give it a shot. All right, I'm eating the, the horse bean. The Chongqing Strange Taste Horse Beans. It's surprising that that would be the brand name. <laughs> Especially since they're testicles. <laughs> are you serious? Is that what they are? <laughs> no, I was kidding. I don't know what they are. <laughs> oh, man. I'd spit it out, but I don't have anything to put it in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like fried Captain Crunch. <laughs>